Happy Easter and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I am Julia Wirth, your host, registered dietitian here in New Haven, Connecticut. And I am so excited that you found the podcast. Um, we're seven episodes in. And I'm so excited. I think I say that every podcast and it hasn't changed. So I think that's a good indicator it's going well. I just wanted um, to say that although last time I promised there would be a wedding episode, it's actually going to be, you know, in two more weeks. The episode that I recorded with Kylie, who, congratulations, just got married on last Sunday, two Sundays, not Easter, Palm Sunday, Sunday before. The episode I recorded with her is actually missing. I I don't know if my computer ate it or um, it just somehow got deleted or written over. I really don't know. Um, but I'm going to either find it or record a new episode because I actually do have um, some exciting news. I'm now also engaged. I got engaged on March 3rd and I will be getting married October 26th. So I have a lot to say when it comes to weddings. I found some studies that are just staggering um, for a little, you know, tidbit teaser. I found a study uh, reported um, by Cornell, and it said that 70% of brides-to-be report dieting as part of their wedding prep. 70%. And I think that's insane. So we have a lot to talk about. But please join us when May is here for our wedding season episode. I promise it is the next one coming. But today, um, April 22nd, I have a, a new friend of mine, Kirsten Ackerman, who goes by Intuitive RD on Instagram, joining me. And I think you will learn a lot during this episode because I learned so much from her. She is a Hayes dietitian. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what Hayes means, it is health at every size. And she's also, you know, an intuitive eating based, and that's her, you know, approach to counseling. So she has a lot of information about what Hayes is, how we can really understand it and use it in our lives, and what intuitive eating is, and how she, you know, gets people to eat that way. So um, I think you're going to learn a lot from her. I'm really excited. She has actually become a, a good friend of mine, even though we met on Instagram. So she is my second now, you know, internet friend. So without further ado, here is Kirsten. Hi, Kirsten. I'm so happy to have you on today. Um, Kirsten goes by Intuitive RD on Instagram. Yeah. Um, so if you know her from that, but she's here, uh, just talk a little bit about intuitive eating and haze and we'll get to defining that. Um, but I just want to start with how did you decide to study nutrition in the first place? Yeah. Um, uh, well, first of all, thanks for inviting me on. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Um, so what got me into nutrition? I've actually told this story a few times. I feel like recently, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I first went into college like I was like okay like I got recruited for tennis I was like okay I'll go play some tennis and figure out what I want to do with school once I get there um and I still didn't totally figure it out but I realized that where I was I didn't like so I ended up transferring out going to a community college for a bit oh, okay. 
And so I was kind of like all over the place. Where did you go originally? So Marist College. Oh, okay. My for a semester. There. Yeah. yeah it's, an, it's a really nice school, but my experience, like I, it just didn't work for me. Um, again, probably because I was just like misguided, didn't know where I was going. <laughs> I think that's normal <laughs> though. You're right. Yeah. Like I think a lot it happens for a lot of people. Um, but I definitely, I guess my point with this story is I was not like from, you know, a young age, like, oh, nutrition's what I'm going to do for oh, my, yeah. my life. Like not at all. I went to community college, um, in my hometown around like the Albany, New York area. Right. Um, and then randomly one day was like, I better figure out what I want to do with my life. Went online, Googled like job quiz. I don't even know what it was. Like <laughs> it was like a, probably a five or 10 question quiz. And it literally came up with like, you should be a nutritionist or whatever. And I was like, that sounds really appealing. Like that sounds interesting. <laughs> wow. That's right? like the most accurate <laughs> test. I think I took one and it told me to be a priest. And I was like, okay, I am Catholic, but I'm not a man. So. <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah, no. So this was like a little bit more aligned with what I was interested in. Yeah. Um, I do always, you know, kind of a backstory to this. Re the reason that it appealed to me so much when this online quiz told me to be a nutritionist. Um, one of the reasons was because I had struggled with, you know, my relationship to food and um you know i had controlled my food intake in a lot of different ways throughout high school yeah um so i was always that kind of set me up to always be really interested in food and really excited about eating and really like excited about um kind of controlling my my food essentially so um when this came up and it was like oh you should be a nutritionist and talk to people about food um and helping them with their diet i was like oh my gosh, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how that played out in the beginning years. And then you liked your classes and such? Yeah. No, I really got into the nutrition classes. Um, at the time, I totally loved it. I think in retrospect, I can see that in some ways my nutrition classes and being around other nutrition students kind of complicated my relationship to food even yeah. more. <laughs> I felt like it was a room of people with disordered eating patterns. <laughs> I agree with that for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, there, there may have been a lot of them, I'm sure that, you know, weren't totally, I don't know, but I don't want to say like, like weren't as bothered by those disordered eating patterns as I right. was. Like they influenced, they, they were very deep with me and they really did Im impact my life. And I think they impact a lot of people's life way more than is talked about in our culture. But there are also those people that kind of just can skate by and like have some of those patterns, but also like are feel functioning. fine. Yeah. yeah. And they feel okay. So like there's, of course there's a continuum with this stuff. Um, but anyway, in retrospect, looking at my experience, I can see that, being around all of these people who may be pra practicing some disordered behaviors around food um, and also people that I identified in my head as quote unquote good eaters, right? right? Like they were doing the right things and you know, whatever. I, that kind of brought up all that shame for me even more. And yeah. it kind of made me want to hide my, I don't know, desire for sweets or like, like a cookie yeah, at yeah, lunchtime exactly. or something. Exactly. Like wanting to grab a cookie or like kind of feeling embarrassed that I was going for my second sugary coffee drink of the day, even though who knows what other people were actually thinking or if they were judging me, like in my head and you know, yeah, in my own personal kind of experience, I was experiencing that shame and thinking, oh wow, like I'm not as quote, quote unquote good as some of these other people. Like, do I belong in this space? Yeah. You know, so that that really complicated things for me at that time. Yeah. I remember thinking like I'm not as like thin 
as the rest of the dietitians. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know if I can be. And whether that's, you know, true or not that I was as thin as them, it certainly shouldn't have mattered. Right. um, For your job. Right. Yeah. And you're right. Like the reality of whether or not you actually fit in doesn't matter as much as like that experience and those thoughts going through your head that can be so harmful and really, you know, judge your actions, (laughs) you know. So I know you're pretty passionate about intuitive eating. Yeah. Um, and that's not really taught in college. So where did you first, you know, start hearing about that or learn about it? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I do hear some people more recently, some students saying that they're hearing about it in their programs. Yeah. I never heard a, a peep about yeah. it. <laughs> I think I did in like my internship. But okay. Even my internship did not ever hear a word. First time I heard intuitive eating, the term was on Instagram and it was, not a dietitian. It was just like some random person kind of talking about it. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, I'm not really entirely sure she was totally on the right path with it, but it's where I heard it. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, rolled my eyes at it and I was like, Oh, like, what is that? Like, I was like, it sounds kind of, you know, interesting, but I didn't latch onto it. I didn't really attach, didn't really understand. Um, probably a few months after that, somehow, food psych podcast by christy harrison yeah came into my life honestly can't remember how it you know somewhere scrolling through something <laughs> i have some of those you're yeah. like where did this come from yes or like people i'm like how did i even meet this person on social media i have no idea yeah um but anyway food psych really was the the doorway for me oh wow um at the time i was working at um a bariatric clinic for weight loss surgery patients right um so It was a really interesting setting to be in as my first job as a dietitian to all of a sudden start hearing about intuitive eating on food psych. Um, And from there, you know, I kind of delved into other podcasts and I read the book and, you know, there's just so many resources. So I kind of dug into all that from there. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you first heard it on Mm -hmm. food psych, what did you think? That's a good question. Like I was all about it like oh I, really yes because okay. i feel like with that question i i understand where you're going because i think there's a lot of people who are like super skeptical yeah. and like have a lot of like what the heck is this about for me for whatever reason again i i think i attribute a lot of it to um the work i was doing with those bariatric surgery patients okay um even though that's not really an intuitive way of eating for them no 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 no. yeah yeah yeah. but the reason i think is because i was seeing so many disordered eating patterns oh okay and i was seeing a lot of stuff that you don't see in our general culture if you're not working one-on-one with people in larger bodies right i was getting so much exposure to people in larger bodies and i was hearing day in and day out the experience of these people And I was realizing that there were a lot of discrepancies between um, what I had thought about people in larger bodies and their behaviors and what I was actually learning from these people. So I think that that was like the perfect situation for me to like hear these messages about health at every size and intuitive eating and start to kind of get angry at the culture that I was in in that clinic. Yeah. The one that makes you feel like if you're in a larger body like you made yourself get there by eating or something yes like personal responsibility for your body size right like it's all about willpower it's all about you know if you want to be thin enough you can be and you will be and blah 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 yeah that's a big part of it but also just um you know the assumptions that are made about people in larger bodies eating a certain way moving a certain way like not caring being lazy like all of these like stereotypes that we don't even totally realize are there until 
you start learning about this yeah. this message or even uh one that struck me mm. today when i was driving because i drive a lot for work <laughs> <laughs> like too much i need to stop but but there's a big billboard on uh i think it's 91 but it might be route eight uh-huh. um that says like lose weight gain life oh wow i haven't seen that yeah it's shocking wow it's as if like if you're a bigger person you're not alive or you're not like having yes. a happy life it's just so odd like gain yes. life gain life yeah it's like it's diminishing the the fact that you can live a happy and full life in a larger body yeah and it's like i don't want to say it's true but i want to say that that's the message that's so prominent yeah because we see people in larger bodies kind of having their life stolen away by being obsessed with dieting and obsessed with um losing weight and being in a smaller body so their life is being taken away yeah. because of that you know i i think the first time i thought about it like like how we think oh, overweight people as they're classified mm-hmm. you know need to be on a diet mm-hmm. um as like a general rule if you see someone you're like oh they're probably dieting was when i was listening to this american life podcast okay. and uh i think it was Min- mindy but i can't remember her last name somebody yeah. said like i came out as fat to mm-hmm. my family and i was like oh that's something i never thought of but like she came out as fat saying like i am fat i'm not trying to be different and that's something that we kind of have to do yeah that's so so powerful yeah i think um some a quote that i've seen thrown around you know is like i'm not a a thin person trapped in a fat body yeah and kind of just like embracing where your body is in and kind of giving up that like actively trying to change your body thing and i i think that's really interesting though to come out to people around you as hey like i'm not trying to change this like this is who i am this is how i am yeah so you mentioned health at every size can you explain a little like what that is um to people because i think it's very confusing yeah yeah so health at every size is a paradigm shift um it is a movement it so it is counter to the dominant paradigm which is a weight focused approach um, or weight centric approach Um, and that is like the baseline of our culture that is like what our medical system operates under essentially what that means is that we value weight um, and body size and shape as a determinant of health um, we really elevate it. We put it on weight on this pedestal and allow it to decide a lot of things about how we assume a person is taking care of themselves or, or whatever. And that dictates the treatment that they get and, and all of these things. So that is like kind of the dominant paradigm. Health at every size is, you know, a weight inclusive or a weight neutral approach in that essentially um, the goal is to provide access to a healthcare for people of all bodies the same access yeah um and just really get adequate care for everybody where um you know the weight focused approach doesn't entirely do that and of course you know it kind of goes without saying but health at every size essentially tries to eliminate the focus on weight um by saying hey like we don't need to be talking about somebody's body size or somebody's weight in order to help them improve their health yeah it's like you can focus on behaviors without even asking how much you weigh exactly like it's kind of ridiculous when you start doing this work and and learning more about this to realize like this the hold in our culture that we have on this number um 
because we don't need it, right? Like we talk about behaviors, we talk about, you know, different changes and things like that. Um, there's really no reason to be saying, oh, this person is this BMI or this person is this weight and therefore they need to lose weight or therefore they need um, to change that. Like if we just throw out all of that focus on weight, we can get down to the nitty gritty of what are your behaviors? What are your values around health? And how can we kind of get you closer to that? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Mm -hmm. So when you started learning about intuitive eating and haze, how did that change your practice? Oh my God. (laughs) It changed absolutely everything. Um, For me, like it was kind of a crazy, like both personal and professional shift, like at the same time. Um, Because you're in a bariatric clinic. Exactly. Right. So at that time I was in a bariatric clinic. Um, I was learning all this stuff and I was like, wow, like I am at the core of this like weight centric culture, like couldn't be in a more weight centric environment than a bariatric surgery office where literally the underlying premise is this is your body size. It is wrong. We must get you to a smaller size. Like that is the overarching thing. Um, so it changed my practice because it started getting me thinking like, wow, like this is problematic. Like this clinic that I'm in or or whatever, this whole industry is problematic because of this, this underlying focus. Um, on a, I guess more like counseling level, it changed my practice by just being more compassionate and listening more to what my clients were saying to me. I was hearing a lot from providers around me, you know, this kind of distrust in the clients, right? Like if a let's I mean a person in a larger body walks in the clinic and they tell us that they're eating a very low amount of calories for what is expected of them the providers around me I sometimes would hear a lot of like kind of just like distrust like like they're lying they're they're not telling the truth they can't be in that body and also be eating this few calories it just doesn't make any sense yeah I know when people constantly say like calories in calories out and I'm just Mm -hmm. like there's a lot more going on There's so much more (laughs) there yes Um, so I feel like there was just, um, no trust in the client. And so like, for me, a big thing for me was like, I need to listen. I need to trust. I need to, you know, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was the biggest, the biggest thing. Um, and a big part of it with intuitive eating is like, how can we focus on what your body is telling you about your intake and use that information to guide the changes that need to be made rather than, I'm going to tell you to change X, Y, Z thing because it's supposed to make you lose weight. And because that's what we're doing. Yeah. You know, it's just a huge, huge, but like sometimes subtle shift. Someone else, uh, Tara, who I had on earlier Mm -hmm. on the podcast, she mentioned, so she had, um, anorexia Mm -hmm. and was in the Maudsley approach Mm -hmm. and they, um, you know, enforced her to have, you know, ice cream, milk, all these foods that we associate with high fat and like gaining weight. Yeah. And then, she said to me, you know, I knew what they were doing with those foods. Yeah. So as soon as, you know, I'm not in my parents' house anymore, I took those all out yeah. because you learn like these foods are causing like this problem. Mm. And when you just said what you did, yeah. it made me think, you know, with larger patients, often we're told like, oh, first take out like mayonnaise. Like, are you putting that on your sandwich? Like, geez, right. all these things that we add in yes. for kids or adults with an eating disorder. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. But yeah, I mean, I was just listening to something earlier. Um, and it was essentially talking about like, I I feel like something I learned in my, my 
nutrition studies is like this idea of like swapping out things right yeah so like get the low fat mayonnaise or get the olive oil mayonnaise or get instead of the regular or get you know the low like why not just get low fat milk or fat free milk um not like there's anything wrong with any of those products but the fact that it's like oh just like swap it out yeah um but again it sends this message that like oh the full fat yeah the full fat mayo is bad or the full fat mayo is going to cause you to get fat which is bad you know what i mean like all these assumptions um and i just think that's so problematic that is at least in my experience was such a big part of um my studies was just this idea of like just just like take it out and you know it doesn't matter how satisfying that food is just swap it out for something that's lower calories yeah and it's interesting too because i so i met with beth rosen earlier this week and she mentioned like before she found intuitive eating and haze she always like steamed or you know uh boiled vegetables and that was Mm -hmm. it there was never any like salt or fat or anything on them and now she cooks with butter Mm -hmm. and she's like you know myself and my children eat more vegetables so that's a (laughs) win-win like it doesn't matter if like you're getting a little bit more fat in your diet you're getting more vegetables and that's better for you yes um so it's just interesting that you mentioned the swapping of foods exactly i think that something that was not talked about pretty much at all in my memory of my undergrad was satisfaction of foods yeah it's all just like this is to fuel you to meet this requirement right. like this check check the check most, yeah this is the most nutritional thing that you could possibly do so it is the right thing yeah there's no nuance there's no gray area um and that's what i've really found with intuitive eating and health at every size and all this stuff is just to embrace that gray area and like you said like maybe the only way i'm gonna you know want to eat my vegetables is if they're kind of spiced up a little bit more and that's awesome that's great yeah Mm-hmm. So when you work with a client or a patient yeah. who's, you know, been a chronic dieter or had an eating disorder or disordered eating yeah. on either end of the spectrum, yeah. um, how do you like start approaching, you know, this way of thinking or eating with them? Like, how do you get them yeah. to be an intuitive eater? That's interesting. I do think that a lot of people that come to me kind of have already been digging in a little bit. So they're okay. familiar, which is awesome. But I would say like first stop for, for my approach personally um, is to start getting them in touch with their cues. Right. Right. So with intuitive eating, there's, there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of like perceptual shifts and just like, um, yeah, just concepts to start thinking about um, like rejecting the diet mentality or something like that. But for me, I like to start with the physical sensations, things like, getting in touch with your hunger and fullness and like what do those things feel like in your body today or what do they feel like yesterday or do you feel them at all or do you feel that thank you yeah exactly like what is going on for your body around food and what are those sensations are they there are they different than they used to be I have a really interesting like perspective with the bariatric um yeah yeah with that with that whole experience because there's a lot of changes in people's hunger and fullness cues after surgery and they can be like traumatic because they just lost part of their body yes yeah I mean fullness can come very quickly very abruptly after one bite of food or it could come right back up like there's a lot of like just like different stuff that goes on around food so i i it's interesting that i i guess i bring that perspective but um i definitely like starting with like the getting in touch with your physical sensations with starting intuitive eating and what do you say to a patient um in terms of like like how do you 
get them to know what to look for i guess yeah i mean i think there's like a lot of different um kind of exercises i'll go through but um the first one is kind of just introducing like the hunger fullness scale right so um on the hunger and fullness scale zero is like extremely like starving right like empty completely empty super hungry um I think I'm there a lot of the time. So that scale, like, it's not effective for me. But okay. Okay. Yeah. And then um, 10 on the scale. So the other end of it is like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving full. Like, you're so uncomfortable. Like, neither end of of this spectrum is comfortable, right? Yeah. Um, And then five is neutral, not hungry, not full, chilling. And then there's all the nuance in between. Um, So I introduced that scale and I encourage my clients to start working with that scale and identifying like okay I'm sitting down for lunch where am I like am I at a one am I like about to be at a zero and like totally starving or am I at like a two or a three like where am I to know what to eat Yeah. yeah and like what does that feel like right so like I'm identifying a number and then kind of pushing further and saying like am I getting a headache at a number two am I getting um, you know, grumbling in my stomach or do I not get that, you know, just starting to really, again, notice the nuance of those sensations in your body. Wow. That's a really good way to think about it. Cause I never had a good idea of how to explain, you know, how does hunger feel like yeah. it's different for everybody. It is so different for everyone. And again, I think that it changes throughout your lifespan, um, and through different life events. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I know you work with a lot of clients who maybe did a lot of dieting in the past or like tried (laughs) most most people tried to lose weight and are they still kind of in that mindset of like they want to lose weight or change their body oh my gosh yes (laughs) yeah so how do you how do you work haze in with them that's a good question so I think again like people coming to me know my approach for the most part and can like I feel like the biggest thing I get from clients is like can I work with you because I still want to lose weight or I don't, I still don't like my body. So I don't really know if I want to do this. So there's a lot of like a hesitance, I guess, like yeah. hesitation, I guess. Um, the way, I mean, I think that first of all, I show compassion for that. I remind people that you can still do intuitive eating and have that thought in your head that yeah. you're not totally wanting to be done with dieting or you're scared to be done with dieting. You're scared at the idea of only being in this current body or you know, not being able to get thinner or you're scared that if you do intuitive eating, your body weight is going to go up and keep changing and blah, blah, blah. All of these fears are okay. And I think that I just validate that for them. And I think that's like step one. Right. I think something that's kind of missing or I I guess I don't want to say missing, but um, yeah, that I feel like I need to work on more outside of the intuitive eating framework with clients is body image. Yeah. because I have so many people who are like intuitive eating sounds wonderful it sounds great I love this idea that I can eat you know foods that sound satisfying to me but I'm scared that my body's going to change and I don't like my body so what do I do with that feeling yeah and how I think they they can be very separate thoughts like you can be totally on board with like listening to your body and intuitive eating and Mm -hmm. like I I'm totally there yeah and like you know, post eating disorder. I'm, I'm good with that. (laughs) I don't want to restrict foods, but at the same time, I think most people who've had an eating disorder in the past, especially if it was anorexia or bulimia, Mm -hmm. when you're really focused on what you look like and your weight, it's horrifying to think that Mm -hmm. you can't control what your body looks like and that potentially eating in a healthful way might, you know, change your body to what you don't want. 
Right. Like, exactly. Like, you can totally identify and be like, I can't restrict anymore. Clearly, that didn't work for me. I know it's not healthy for me. But also, I'm scared. And also, I don't like this idea of my body being different or being bigger or whatever. Um, So you're right. Like, I like how you put that, that, like, they can be totally separate thoughts. And so you have to work on that body image piece, too. Yeah. Have you ever, like, talked about body image with your clients yeah (laughs) yeah but it's something that more recently I'm realizing like how how much there's a deficit in that area that I I need to expand on it even more because it is such a big piece of it um there's a lot of stuff with body image I mean I think like one of the first things I start with with people on body image is talking about how like how they've only been exposed to very, a very small portion of the population's bodies. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's mind boggling when you realize. Yeah. It's like the 67% or something of people don't get seen or like don't see themselves probably even less than that. But yeah, there's like, I, Oh, I don't know the statistic, but I'm sure that makes well, sense. I just said that statistic and I'll have to look it up now because, <laughs> because uh, there's a project out there to get like the other percentage of people okay. shown yeah. and it's called the 67% project project so it's like collecting stock images and if i'm wrong i'm gonna correct this in the notes (laughs) but uh they're collecting stock images of you know people in larger bodies or just differently shaped bodies to have because every single stock image we see is like you know the straight woman who like she doesn't like we supposedly think hourglass is pretty but like you don't ever see that Right. You know, so like people's idea of an hourglass is really like a, a stick shape. Right. It's not even actually. Yeah. Like, right. Which is, I mean, fine to look that way, mm-hmm. but there's other ways, right? Yeah. 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 I, now that you're saying that I, the stock images and stuff, that sounds, sounds super familiar to yeah. me. So I, I know what you're talking about, but. I think that that's just step one is identifying like, wow, like I haven't been exposed to like the vast majority of bodies that are out there. I'm seeing the same body over and over again. And like, why don't I look like that? Why don't, exactly. Um, And then starting to be like, okay, how can I expose myself to more diverse bodies? Social media is a great place to start with that. Like cleaning up your feed and adding more diverse bodies, you know, people who are sharing more diverse bodies. Do you have any examples for people to look up? Yeah. I mean, I'll share some, maybe I'll share some more with you later, but, um, a few, I know, um, Cheyenne Gill, do you know that account? No, I don't think so. Okay. So that's one of them. Um, the body positive, like I forget what their Instagram handle is, but they have stuff. Um, I know the fat sex therapist is a great one. I was literally just, someone just said something about that account to me. Yeah. That is another good one. I just found her and it's like, whoa. There's pictures of people who yes. like aren't tiny, yes. um, which is great to see. Yeah. And even like accounts like um, Body Posse Panda. Yeah. Um, I'm blanking on her name now, but um, and then there's like Vergi Tovar. Um, so there's there's a lot of them. But, um, you know, anyone that's like a fat activist, you know, usually those type of accounts are, are really great. And so that's step one. Um, yes. And then is there anything else that you tend to do with patients? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like a big thing with, with body images um, and really just working through a lot of things is kind of identifying the thoughts um, that are kind of recurring around your body yeah. um, and putting them on paper and getting them out of your head, just swirling around. Yeah. Um, so that's something that's one of the exercises I'll have people do is kind of just like put on paper these negative body image thoughts that are coming up for you over and over again and finding ways to kind of 
you know, shift them. So if, if a negative body image thought that you have is, you know, my thighs are too big or I don't have a thigh gap and that's bad or whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm rolling my eyes over here, but, yeah. um, you know, these are the thoughts that people have like, yeah, putting it's true. It, yeah, putting, putting it down and shifting that to, wow, like my thighs are like super awesome. Like they're strong. They let me do X, Y, Z thing. Yeah. Um, I guess shifting it really to gratitude is, is a good practice. Right. Right. That's mm-hmm. a, a good point. Cause yeah. I think, uh, for a lot of people when you're like, I don't like my legs aren't thin enough or for me, for some mm-hmm. reason growing up, it was like my ankles. I don't know. Yeah. Like your we ankles aren't like yeah. the right size or yeah. whatever they're supposed to be. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, well these ankles never got sprained. <laughs> so like that's a check. <laughs> I love it. I so love just it. like thinking of those, those positive things might, might help people. Yes, exactly. Thinking of the positives and thinking of ways to be grateful for, for those things. I think those shifts can be, you know, again, kind of an easy, simple thing, but it can be really powerful. And if you had to give like one, one piece of advice to someone who's just starting on the path of like intuitive eating or like accepting their body for what it is, what would it be? I think my, my go-to thing is to go back to compassion. So I feel like, um, at some points in my own journey, and I know with my clients, people can get really overwhelmed. There's a lot of resources with intuitive eating. There's a lot to learn there's such it's such a shift in thinking yeah um and it's like you can get caught up on on so many little things because it's such a it's so countercultural. it's so against everything you've ever heard so if you're getting overwhelmed by any of this um i think coming back to like how can i show myself compassion in this moment whether it's related to food and you're stressed out because you're craving a cupcake and you don't think you should have it yeah like come back to like how can i show myself compassion here um you know, how can I give myself compassion? If it's a negative body image thought, same thing. Like, how can I show myself some compassion in this moment? It can be that simple. Um, and that alone is going to make, you know, make your journey a little bit smoother. Just thought of one question I didn't ask, um, that came up for me. Were you at fancy this year? No, No, I wasn't. Okay. For anyone who doesn't know, fancy is the food nutrition conference and expo Yes, or food and nutrition, something like that. (laughs) So anyway, um, there was a haze debate Yes, and I was sitting next to this guy, um, who was great. It's fine. But there was one part where bariatric surgery came up. Okay. And that's why I think it's interesting to ask you since you've worked in bariatric surgery and now are very passionate about haze. Yes. Um, but we both, the, the man and I, both kind of got stuck on the like, we're totally on board with haze and intuitive eating and all yes. that. But how do you deny, because Christy Harris, Harris or Harrison? Harrison. Harrison. Christy Harrison was saying that, you know, from a haze perspective, you know, bariatric surgery is not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like you shouldn't do it. And I totally understand mm-hmm. like, you know, don't, don't cut out part of your body, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's hard coming from such a science background mm-hmm. to be like, do we deny the research that shows like type two diabetes is reduced or, or whatever else the research is showing that bariatric surgery helps. Um, so what do you think about that? How do you, you know, marry those two concepts? That's interesting. Um, so first of all, I would definitely say that a big part of my perspective, and I think a lot of the other professionals in this space is that, you know, body, body autonomy is a thing. I would never, 
shame somebody for get, going forward with bariatric surgery or say they shouldn't do it or anything right. like that. Like it's a personal choice and that's cool. And I, she definitely said that too, yes. but she was just saying from a Hayes perspective, technically. It's not, wouldn't be promoted. Yeah. Right? yeah it wouldn't yeah, be yeah. encouraged. Yeah. Um, I think that another thing I would say is that the research on bariatric surgery is limited. Right. And yes, I will say in my own, you know, clinical experience that, you know, you would see changes in uh, blood sugar for sure. And like there's research out there that shows that. But there's also research that shows that the further you get out from surgery, the less impact. Like how long are those effects how long lasting? Is that, exactly. How long is that actually lasting? Um, so I think that my answer to that is that um, there's a lot more research, you know, that needs to be done um, before we can say, absolutely, this is working. Yeah. The other thing is like, dude, like what about the harm that's being yeah, done? I right? Know. Like, Oh, awesome. Like type two diabetes is like somewhat kind of like cured for a bit. But maybe like you can't ever have a normal birthday party. Yeah. Like just the psychological, the social impact, the psychological impact, the physical impact. What about like the mortality rate? What about the risk yeah. of the surgery? I mean, there's just so many other things to think about outside of like that small piece of, you know, the science, you know, the, um, yeah, like the how it's affecting other comorbidities. Right. And I just think those aspects are not brought up ever. And there's yes. not like a lot of research about, you know, the number of people who eat their stomach, you know, out and maybe some terrible thing happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, and or they end up, you know, with an eating disorder because they're restricting so much from yeah. or and it's not identified because they're still in somewhat of a larger body or whatever reason. Yeah, they're not identified. I think that that goes under the radar a lot. There's also a lot of research showing like bariatric surgery patients, you know, becoming becoming dependent on other substances and oh, stuff yeah. like that, like like alcohol. Um, so it's like um, and, and also another thing that is not talked about, which again, more research needs to be done is the weight regain that happens, right? Yeah. I would like in my experience and from what I've seen from the research, even the vast, vast majority of patients regain weight. Yeah. How Just much, like in weight loss counseling, you know, yeah, it's the same story. <laughs> it's the same story. Um, so I guess my point with that is like the impact of that too right because these people are going into this saying thinking like okay i'm gonna this is the answer to, this is the magic bullet that i'm gonna lose the weight finally keep it all off and then f to find a year out that they're starting to regain weight and then they feel like a failure and devastating they, it, they're devastated yeah and they feel like they did something wrong yeah so like all of these other things like in my head i'm like all of these other n potentially really negative and really harmful impacts Compared to like a couple, maybe yeah, <laughs> like maybe no positive. type two diabetes, maybe for a little bit no type two. Who knows? Like, it just seems like there's so much, uh, so many other yeah. things to think about. Yeah. Okay, that was mm -hmm. good. Great yeah. point. <laughs> um, so I have like one last question I like Please. to ask everybody, um, mm -hmm. and it's what is your favorite food so we can be happy about food and oh excited. My God. <laughs> How do I just pick one? I know. Um, uh, my go-to answer for my favorite food is mashed potatoes. Oh, how do you make them? You know, it's funny you say that because I feel like I don't go out of my way to like make mashed potatoes a ton right now. Okay. Well, when you're like living alone or with just one other yeah. person, mashed potatoes are not a go-to. It's not. Like I have in the past, like, um, I don't know, but I when I do make them, like I like putting all the goods in there, like the cheese, the sour cream. Oh, you know, cheese. Like, yes. I never put cheese in mashed potatoes. Yes. Like shredded cheese oh, or wow. what? Yeah. Let it melt in there. Yeah. No. 
Um, so I think like just all the different flavorings, but I love mashed potatoes. Like from a young age, it was like, it was always my go-to. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Every yeah. single person so far has said had a different food and that's exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, I'm going to have to listen to your podcast and all your episodes now so I can like hear everyone else's answer. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the only one that potentially has been repeated, but the second person had a, had another one she yeah. went to is fresh bread. And I can't deny that oh it's gosh. delicious. So I'm okay with that. So, so true. Oh my gosh. I love bread. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kirsten. Yeah. This thank is, you, Julia. This is great. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you made it this far, please give me a rating, a, a like, um, a share. Share it with your friends, your family, on Facebook, wherever. Um, fi- get others to find this podcast. And really giving those ratings are the best way to do it, to get us up in the charts. So please do what you can. And if you do have any questions, comments, concerns, things you want me to address, um, my email is worth, W-E-R-T-H, your while, nutrition at gmail.com. So send me an email and I will do my best to do what you're asking. And if you want to follow me day to day, Instagram is the best place as well as Facebook, Instagram at jbworth and Facebook at worth your while nutrition. So have a great week and again, happy Easter and happy Passover to everyone who has been celebrating this past weekend.